listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast. You're on the podcast because you're working on your relationship, and I'm here to help you do just that by talking through some of the issues that might be coming your way. In fact, the way we're doing that right now is by me answering your questions, listener questions. Now, if that's of interest to you, if you're thinking that you have something that maybe others might be dealing with, then I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's the place where I'm looking for what I've been calling the Goldilocks of the questions. That means that it's specific enough that I can actually cover it in the midst of a, you know, 18 to what, 25 minute podcast. But yet it's not so specific that maybe you need to have a discussion with somebody directly, one of the coaches, one of my coaches, or even with me in order to get it because it applies only to you. It's, it's a kind of that in-between place. Because if you say, you know, how do I save my marriage? I'm going to refer you to what I've already written and what I've already created in my books and in my uh, system. And if it's so specific that we really need to dig in, that's about coaching. So this is that midpoint. One of the things that I've noticed is there's a recurring theme about, I don't know how else to say it, but proving that things are going to get better to a spouse. Generally, when people are listening to my podcast, they are the ones who are ready to take action. It's possible that both people are ready to take action, but rarely do I have people listening to my podcast who don't want to take action, who don't want to save their relationship. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to be listening to a podcast that's entitled Save the Marriage unless you're wanting to save the marriage. So you're here because of that, which means that it's possible you're working hard to try to show another path to a spouse who's resistant or even refusing to have any part of that. What that often sets up is the process of the person being able to say, I'm not happy with you and you're going to have to change if we're going to be able to get moving with this, not the relationship has to change. And so let's be very clear here that at some point, the process has to shift to the relationship transforming. This really is about how do we get the relationship back on track? How do we get to the place where you are in a relationship that is, as I talk about it, a we relationship, we a team, we're in this together, we see each other as in this unit. So the repair work is about how to get the relationship to that point. But in between, there are often times when somebody has some concerns about the other body that they need to have changed or adjusted even to consider the process, which does set up something of a trap because change sometimes is tricky for us, right? I mean, sometimes we all want to make changes. Plenty of us have had the moments where we maybe, you know, think back on a New Year's resolution where you decided you were going to lose weight, get in better shape, take care of your stress, you know, write the book or whatever it is that might have been that New Year's resolution, only to have that fall apart very quickly. You know, we've all seen those uh, situations and you may have been a part of that where the gyms and the yoga studios and the diet centers and everywhere else fill up sometime around January 1st. 
and empty out sometime before the end of February. And that's the, the fact is that it's kind of tough for us to make some changes. So what do you do, right? I mean, what do you do if you recognize that there are some places where you need to make some changes and you've got a spouse who's telling you, you've got to make the changes and yet, you know, you don't know what to do with that. That brings us to a couple of the questions this week that are kind of focused on this general area. I've got one, one person says, uh, what if one spouse, quote, messed up? And you say, in my case, addiction, but it could be anything like infidelity for lots of couples. And the other spouse wants to see proof of a, and this is also in quotes, redemptive arc. In other words, proof of getting better. In one way, it's a gift. In other ways, it's full of traps and pitfalls and places all of the, cha- places all the change on one person. How would you coach that? Well, you've named a couple of the pitfalls already. First, that then the focus begins to be on that one person. You know, what if that one person somehow doesn't quite pull it off? What if more than that, what if they do pull it off, let's say even 90% of the time, but at some point, you know, they don't do it right and they slip a little bit. Now, there are those big issues Let's talk about the big issues like when there's addiction or when there's infidelity, which is either a you slipped up or you didn't. I mean, it's, it's pretty big. You either have fallen back into the addiction or committed further infidelity or not. But then there are those other things like maybe controlling behavior where somebody says, you know, I just can't deal with the controlling behavior anymore or I can't deal with passive aggressive behavior anymore. Or, I can't deal with, you know, you fill in the blank and that's got to change And in those cases, it's very different on how you would go about it. So first of all, uh, let's talk about the big issues. Let's say that there is the place of addiction work or the place of healing from infidelity. Both of those are big enough that they probably require outside sources if you're able to see that there are big enough issues to call it an addiction, um, particularly around addiction. And so part of what I see as necessary in relationships where there is an issue with addiction is being very clear about how you're addressing the addiction. Now, let me also be very clear that all the research would show that working on an addiction in a relationship is something that both people have pieces to the puzzle, that it begins to be a relational piece. Now, that doesn't mean that when people are recovering from an addiction that a spouse is necessarily going to step into that. It just means that there is a part that's the relational piece. That's why uh, AA has Al-Anon and NA has Narconon. And while there are, why there are lots of these uh, extra groups for the spouses of people who are trying to deal with those addictions. So if it's an addiction, for instance, clearly you would want to be working on those addictions to make sure that you have the reasons for the addictions under wraps. And, you know, we, we often get caught up into trying to figure out the root cause of addiction. And and we act as if there is a root cause of addiction when in reality, there are multiple root causes of addiction that can affect different people. I mean, we have, we know that there are genetic pieces. There are, um, so the biological genetic pieces, there are also the social issues of it. There are also oftentimes, uh, kind of the, um, neurological components of that. And so there are lots of different pieces that come under that whole addiction piece. 
So to be clearly working on that is an important piece if it's about addiction in particular. Now, in infidelity, part of it is trying to get to the roots of why the infidelity happened. That's kind of the same thing as with addiction, right? But we have a clearer path for addiction. There are clear organizations and clear literature and clear treatment strategies for helping to deal with addiction. And so making sure that you avail yourself of those resources is very important. And not only availing yourself, but being um, transparent about that. To be clear with your spouse about how you're dealing with that. Now notice that word transparent. Because that also fits on how we heal infidelity by being transparent with you know, what's going on. One of the things I stress for the person who committed infidelity is that they have a process of being transparent, meaning allowing a spouse to check up on them without being upset about it, without feeling like your privacy has been violated because you've trust, you're, the trust of the other person has been violated. And so in the reestablishment of the trust, there has to be some openness and some clarity about what your actions are doing. And basically, we're looking, are the actions backing up what you're claiming? You know, that's, that's kind of what happens in life. Lots of times we want to be excused for our actions because of some underlying issue, but the only thing a spouse can see is the actions. It can only read into the actions they're seeing in the process. To be very clear about that is important. So the problem is when we make it into just one person, right? There's just one person. um, So that one person carries all the burden. The thing is that sometimes you've got to accept that for a while. And here's where I talk about my kind of my 3C process. This is the 3C process that I have written about, that I've talked about, that I've podcasted about, that I ask everybody to undergo as their process for saving their marriage. And the first C is connecting with a spouse. The second C is no less important, nor is it done after the first C, and that is to change yourself. There are times when all of us grow stagnant. There are also times when all of us kind of you know, fall short of who we need to be and where we need to be. And so that second C of changing yourself is saying, okay, where do I need to grow regardless? And this is important, regardless of whether a spouse grows or not, regardless of whether a spouse accepts responsibility or not. Sometimes we get so bound up into this place of fairness where we ask the question, you know, if I'm going to change, why don't you have to change? We fail to see that if there's a change that you need to make, that's a change you need to make kind of regardless. We can try to get the other person to make changes, but that's rarely going to work. I mean, that's one of those places where I talk about what can you control? And one of the things I am very clear you cannot control is the choices another person makes, the actions of that person. We don't have control over that. So many times I hear people talk about fairness and wanting a spouse to also be willing to make changes, and it misses the point that if there's a change we need to make, it's irrelevant of what another person does. It's irrelevant of what a spouse does. It's what we choose to undertake for ourselves, for ourselves, but also for us to be the best person entering into the relationship. 
So when it, you feel like it's you who's having to do, you know, the the one way, um, the change uh, the change on the one person, make sure you're clear about what that change is really about. It is not possible in the end for one person to save a relationship. It is possible for one person to start the process of moving towards the change. I talk about my program. The Save the Marriage System is built on the premise that even if only one person wants it, you can start the process. You can't end the process. <laughs> I had one person who said, okay, you, you say that, so what if my spouse continues to not want it? And my response was, that's kind of the process. Right? I mean, we don't really allow imprisonment anymore. So, um, you know, there has to be a point when the other person steps into the process. It's just a matter of who's going to start. This is true in anything in life. It always requires somebody to start. At the beginning of a relationship, somebody made the first move. At the next level of the relationship, somebody made the next move. At the next level of the relationship, somebody made the next move. So it's interesting to me that when we get to the point of saving a relationship that many times somebody says, why should I have to start this or why should I have to carry the burden or change myself or do anything else? And my response is because that's how every single change in life happens by one person saying enough's enough. I'm going to make a change here or I'm going to step into something new or there's something else we can do at this point. The important thing is for somebody, either body, anybody to start a process towards something better because somebody else will start a process towards something worse if we don't do that. So it does create a barrier. If there is an expectation that one person is going to make the change, it does create an extra barrier and an extra burden on that one person, at least at the beginning. To be clear with yourself on how you have a plan of making a change is important. In fact, I would say that having a plan is a core component of making that change. Now, let me tell you that as a person, I'm not the big planner. I'm not the big list maker. I don't like doing that. But I do it because it's necessary. I don't like having to have checklists in my life. I can tell. I mean, there are people who do like that. My wife very much likes a list. I very much don't like a list. I very much don't like a plan which doesn't mean I don't have a plan. It just means I don't enjoy creating it. I know it's necessary for all of us to have that. There are some people who love making lists, even if they never accomplish even point one on that list. They just like the list. Then there are those of us who don't like the list, but will follow up on every piece of it once it's in front of us. And I think it's important to make sure you have that list and you follow up on it to create your plan. And when I say plan, I mean to have it written out on those areas that I talk about, the three C's. That is connecting with your spouse, changing yourself, creating a new path. All of those are pieces that I outline in my system. And uh, for VIP members, if you're a member of my VIP program, there's even a fill-in-the-blank plan. You just follow my prompts and you have yourself a plan ready to go because I find it to be that important for people who have decided to really you know, delve into that, to really step into the process. We also do that with our coaching clients to help them build a plan and test it out. So a big piece of the change process starts with charting your change. 
Now, one of the things that I suggest that people not do is proclaim their change. When we start talking about the change we're making, what we do with the resistant spouse is put them on alert to point out the places where we have failed to make the changes. So there's 99% of the time when you're in that change, you're embodying the change that you're talking about. And then that 1% that either you're stepping back into something new or it even just looks like something or stepping back into the old or it even looks like you're stepping back from the new into that old and a spouse calls you on it. That's what you're opening up to when you proclaim the change. So what do you do instead? You live the change. You give irrefutable proof day after day after day that you've made the change without having to say anything about it. It comes out because they're already on guard for that. You don't need to put them on extra guard for that. You don't need to add on to that. You need to be working on your own process. What I've realized is that many times the people who talk the most about the changes they make have made the least amount of change. The people who embody the change don't need to talk about it because they know that they're doing that. So as you take that on, take the change on for yourself. You can take the feedback from a spouse. Many times they can give us great feedback on where we have failed to grow. Then we can take it on ourselves and ask, how do we make the changes? Okay, so somebody else wrote in and said, my wife and I have a poor relationship and it's constantly on the edge of floundering, but we stay together because of family and friends and a long history. And she frequently blames my mother and father for my actions and how their influences have impacted me and influenced how I treat her in a negative way. So assuming she's correct, how do I bring these subconscious automatic actions and reactions to the surface and get control of them before they so often get control of me? Okay, so the answer is still very clear. I mean, let's, let's take your parents out of the equation. Let's first be very clear that our family of origin, our parents, our siblings, our grandparents, our cousins, the people around us do have an impact on us. We do learn who we are and how to be early on from those people. We can modify it as we go, as we learn differently, as we have different ways of understanding, but that's our starting point. And it's going to have a lasting impact on us. So for your wife to assert or a spouse to assert that you show pieces of your behavior based on what you kind of brought from your family of origin would be not incorrect. And so sometimes what we end up doing is defending our family rather than accepting the feedback. So the question is, when she's bringing up those pieces, when your spouse is bringing up the pieces, can you see some factuality to what she's reflecting back to you? Is she a good mirror? Is a spouse a good mirror for where maybe you do need to have some growth? And if so, then to look, instead of us getting caught in the subconscious to ask, what do you want to become? What do you want to move towards? We can spend a lot of time trying to um, figure out the deep levels of the psychology of family. And we have lots of psychotherapists and psychoanalysts in our uh, history to uh, know that we can talk a lot about that and make no changes. I'm always concerned when people start talking about the subconscious. I'm reminded 
of a conference I was in one time, uh, and on a psychiatric floor, I, I was I was actually there as a staff person, just to reassure you. Um, and as I was there as a staff person, um, as a chaplain and pastoral counselor. I was listening in as they were talking with a patient who was trying to demonstrate how he'd gotten better. And one of the psychiatrists turned to him and said, you know, do you realize the subconscious stuff that's coming up here? And this person very uh, clearly turned to the psychiatrist and said, if I realized it, it wouldn't be subconscious. And there's so much to that that is true that we sometimes get wrapped up in what is the subconscious that we miss. What do we want to become? How do we want to move towards something else? Now, I don't think that you can just ignore the psychodynamic issues at play, that surely there are things in our past that we do need to resolve and heal and move through. But I find one way that we make changes is by targeting who we want to become instead and move towards that when we can replace the behaviors that have guided us. And let's be clear about why we have those behaviors. It's because at one point they worked for us. Everything that no longer works for us once worked for us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have kept doing it. You know, we can see, and again, not to compare us to animals, but we can see that in what we do with animals, right? With our dogs. Sometimes we teach dogs, our pets, bad behavior and we want them to stop the bad behavior when it gets problematic. The problem is we taught it to them, and they got rewarded for it somehow. Sometimes we don't even mean to do it, but there's a reward to it, and they go, oh, that worked for me. I got my treat, whatever that is, attention or love or food or whatever it is. Well, the same thing happens with kids. Somehow we're rewarded for behavior that at the time works for us and then no longer works for us. It's maladaptive at some point, but it was adaptive at some point. So we can step back and ask the question, what would be more adaptive? What would be a better place for me to be? Where would it be better for me to be, to be a better person? Then we have something to move towards. Instead of getting caught up in the, it's your parents' fault or it's whoever's fault, to battle that out does nobody any good. To ask the question, how do we change and become somebody better, much better, a much better way of moving, because then we can begin to create that plan of how we're going to move forward into being that new person. So then that leads us to this other place about what about the after effect, the, the, the person we were before. This person says, um, this person, the spouse has lots of resentment towards me, and he, when he says he hasn't resolved the issue in his head or heart, he hasn't forgiven me. He keeps arguing, saying that he has forgiven me, and the question is, is it possible for there to still be resentment if there is forgiveness? And the long answer would be, or the short answer to that is no. The long answer is, whenever we actually have forgiven, the resentment has changed to empathy. Now, we may not have anything to do with somebody that we forgive, and I'm talking very generally about forgiveness at this point. I wrote a book on this, so I have lots to say on it. Um, if you're interested in that, it's the forgive process. It's a six-step process to how to forgive. And what I believe is that a part of the process of forgiving is seeing something, someone differently. It's not forgetting what happened, but understanding the context and the person differently and deciding to move forward in different ways. And so when you do that, the resentment goes away. Now, here is the trick. 
I can decide to forgive someone long before I, I have finished that process. Forgiving is a process, not a moment. Forgiving is, it takes time. You have to take some steps into that process. It's not overnight. The, the decision to do that certainly can come very quickly. But the reality of that can take much longer. So the, the lo- short answer is no, if somebody has truly forgiven you, there isn't any more resentment. But the longer answer is there may be still process in there and the person has, is only at the place of being able to say, yes, I am going to forgive you or yes, I choose to forgive without actually having gotten there. Okay, we've chewed through a lot of stuff because a lot of times what happens is that our spouse is looking to give the litmus test to us, the proof test. Did you really change? Are you really a different person or are you just trying to fool me? And can I see you as a different person? Those are big pieces to the puzzle that often come when it's one person who's working on saving their relationship and a spouse may still be resistant to that process, unable to see something new. One way to make sure you're staying on that is uh, to make sure you're working through a process, a system, you might say, which is exactly the reason I created the Save the Marriage system. It's designed to help you understand what went wrong, but also understand how to rebuild and make it right, how to get to a better place. If you're stuck, even if you're working on it alone, that's the starting point to grab the Save the Marriage system. Now, a couple of things that I'd try to do to really make it powerful for you is to give you a free week of VIP when you purchase the system. You just have to say yes. I'm not going to force you into it. It's an invitation for you to accept that. I make the offer. You have to decline it or accept it. That's the two options in order to continue. It's the only time I'll give you that free week because I want to make sure that if you're ready to take action, I'm ready to help you. So that free week of VIP is just that. It's free. You can stay longer if you want to, but you don't have to. You can cancel But it can give you lots of other resources, including an understanding of how to write that apology letter to help the process of forgiveness along. You can't make it happen, but you can sure help it along. It also includes the -the fill-in-the-blank plan and lots of other tools and training and understandings that will help you do that. That free week is just yours for the asking or the taking because I'm going to offer it. I'll ask you. The other thing is after you make the purchase – Once you go to your download page, in order to grab the system, you can also sign up for a 15- or 20-minute conversation with one of my coaches that's a get-started coaching session, the best start coaching session. We just want to make sure that you actually have gotten what you need and you've gotten started. And they are trained coaches who can help you very quickly in those 15 to 20 minutes to get a head start. No obligation, no cost to that. It's just part of the system. So once you grab the system, grab the free week of VIP, grab your coaching session with one of my coaches and get started so that you can work to make sure that you're creating the place where there can be healing and health and wholeness for your relationship so that you have a relationship that you both will treasure. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.